Welcome to Bottomless Rugby, the home of boys, brews and sports balls. This is the main event with Dr. Dup and Jason. We talk about the current hot topic of the week, touch base on interesting news and pick a boykey of the week. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Bottomless Sports Network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services. Let's get into it. Our hot topic for this week is going to focus on uh, the manipulation of referee behavior. So recently there was a book that came out. It's um, a book called Miracle Men, written by Lloyd Bernard, right, who took an in-depth look at how Rusty Rasmus turned the Springboks from what was once considered the lows of 2016 and 2017 to World Cup champions in 2019. Um, but there's an an extract of this book that uh, drew a lot of attention and it kind of reveals how the Springboks went into great detail in analyzing referees who would be in charge of their matches uh, during the 2019 World Cup and the length the Springboks went to prepare for how they are going to work with the referees um, to try and stay in the good books and so forth. Um, this is quite interesting. We're going to take a Take a dive into the extract that was given there on a SR Rugby Max um, article there. Um, but yeah, let me bring Jason in off the bat. Uh, Jason, yeah, you saw quite a few articles pop up on this as well. Um, you maybe want to set the stage for us. Um, you know, just maybe we start off with a good understanding of uh, manipulation versus exploitation. Yeah, well, the big thing I noticed was depending on where the publication was based. There was very different ways they described this. Uh, some people described this manipulation, some described exploitation, some went as far as cheating. But I just want to quickly define manipulation versus exploitation here, just so we know what we're talking about. So, so some research done on coercion, manipulation, and exploitation by a guy called Alan Wood, and he gave nice definitions here. So manipulation is the steering or influencing of the choices of others by means that might be morally problematic, though not necessarily wrong in all cases. That's a big point. Uh, and another end, exploitation involves making use of the vulnerabilities of others for your ends. Now, of course, you can decide for yourself whether you think this was manipulation or exploitation. But for me, it is very clear that they, the Springboks were making efforts to influence the behavior of the ref and the choice he made, but the choice was still with the referee. There weren't, there wasn't anything being exploited for me to say. Do you agree with that, though? Well, I mean, let's let's let the listeners decide. We'll we'll kind of go through it and you know uh, put the evidence out there, and the listener can decide which of the fence they feel the evidence points them to. Um, you know, let's not kind of jump the gun too quickly here. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the definitions do make it make it um, a little bit more clearer because um, e explicitly exploitation states that um, you would be making use of vulnerabilities. Uh, blackmail is probably the best example of exploitation. You know, if someone went there, it's like, yo, Jerome, you know those emails you sent? Um, you know what to do today. Like that would be a form of exploitation. But, um, you know, if someone went, hey, Jerome, uh, hey, you're looking good out there today. That's, that's a bit of influence and potential manipulation that, that might be going on there, um, just to put it in, in easy layman's terms. 
Right. So what was quite interesting for me with this book that came out and the extract that they put up is the guy basically goes on to explain that Rossi pioneered a new approach to dealing with officiating here. Right. Now, we all know that teams, particularly at the top level, do take their time to analyze referees, how they officiate games, whether they're strict at breakdowns, how they officiate scrums and so forth. We've all known that. But Rossi really wanted to know as much as possible about the referees. Um, and the important thing there was they wanted to, as best possible, uh, manage their expectations on game day. So if you know a referee is going to be harsh on a particular aspect of the game, you can set your expectations accordingly, right? Um, and from the, the psychological standpoint and for players during the matches, particularly the captain, Jason, wouldn't you say that um, just setting your expectations can make the job of a captain or a leader in the team that has to deal with the referee a lot easier? Yes, exactly, because the captain has the big role of managing the referee to an extent. So if you're not going in there with proper analysis, you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing. You might say the wrong thing, you might push the wrong buttons, and then you're getting disadvantaged for the rest of the match. So for me, what Rossi was doing, it's a natural progression of the old idea of play to the referee. I mean, you and I have both been playing rugby for a while, I think basically every coach has said that at some kind of point. And he's just taking it to the next level by trying to see how they can get advantage from playing to the referee. And, I mean, geez, I haven't seen personality traits mentioned anywhere in rugby before. So the fact that they're yeah. analysing this in the refs is a major, major step forward. Hey? I think it's it's a leap forward in, in the professional game. And to some extent, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see this come down to all professional leagues at the least. Uh, we, we can expect club teams to potentially employ that as well, which I think will be interesting. But yeah, I mean, just the point that he went as far as to say, all right, let's get information on their personality, right? At sort of at a fundamental level, how do these guys function as humans first like what are their impulses um and so forth uh, to to fully understand the behavior and then um, understanding their human behavior now allows them to plan accordingly to minimize the risk for example of getting on the bad side of a referee when there's a marginal call no exactly that's that's the big thing because before a match the referee always tells you what they expect but there are expectations they have that they don't mention so knowing these beforehand is a big, big step. And another thing I thought was pretty, pretty great was how he decided to um, actually put this into practice. What can you say? Yeah, that was that was the part that really surprised me, right? So let's delve into how the Springboks actually prepared for all of this. Um, obviously, they had someone to go and analyze the referees. I don't know where or how they went about getting these personality traits. Um, maybe, maybe you could give us an idea of like whether there's some way for someone to look at footage or like what sort of approach would they have taken to get personality traits um, of the referees? Let's start there. Well, here's the thing. There are obviously loads of personality tests that can be done uh, uh, for people so you can get these traits. But if... I doubt the referees would have done these with psychologists associated with the Springboks. 
And even then, that is a huge violation of confidentiality and someone's losing their job and license if those test results got leaked to the team. So I doubt that is how it happened. Um, there are certain traits and characteristics you can judge from watching people, how they behave on the field. And let's be honest, they're not going to really worry about you know, personality traits that come out when they're at home or when they're in the bar with their mates. They're going to focus on, on what comes out strongly in the match. So, so that, I, I think they did a big analysis of, you know, their playing, how they speak to players, how they react to different things. Uh, they are obviously sports psychologists associated with the Springboks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they said to them, look, can you do a bit more of an analysis or they hired an external body to do a greater analysis on this. So I think, yes, from footage is exactly where they would have gotten this. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. Um, yeah, pro someone probably did a lot of hard work to go through footage and identify uh, the traits, etc. Um, so then the Springboks took that information and they did role-playing in meetings and practices, um, right? Specifically to practice what to say to referees. And we'll take Jerome Garcia's as an example, um, you know, throughout this podcast because um, he did referee two of our matches and critically he refereed the final, right? So, for example, the Springboks um, identified that Jerome Garcia's response well to compliments on his physical appearance. So what the players would practice in these role-playing in the meetings and practices is to compliment him throughout the game, particularly if it's a fast-paced match. Uh, they've noticed that when he gets compliments, you know, like, hey, Jerome, wow, you know, you're doing well to keep up with, with this pace of the match, that he responds well. Um, you know, so it kind of kind of um, sets a good report with him and makes him feel good. And, you know, he could be a little bit more likely to respond well to you. Um, but the idea that players and management would role play this i feel is where the big difference comes in with what rossi has introduced here is that they actually practice this and could you maybe explain to us why why it was so essential for them to role play this rather than just in a meeting speak about okay we have jerome as a referee we know he responds well to compliments so guys you know do go compliment him etc you know like, what is the real benefit of practice versus just talking about it? Well, the big thing is, again, sometimes cultural differences can make a difference here. And what might be complementary in a South African context might not come off as well for a French context or New Zealand context or Australian. So those are things you have to take into account. Um, obviously, we have no proof of this, but I'm willing to bet if they had a behavioral psychologist or someone similar to that, analyzing these guys and finding the personality traits, they would also be telling the players exactly, okay, based on how he responds or this, 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 this is what you need to say. You need to say it in this part. And that is a big thing to time it well. And let's be honest, you need to make it come off natural. If it sounds like the Springboks are trying to like suck up to the referee, he's going to pick up on that and he's going to be like, guys, it's not going to work yet. So making it seem yeah. natural... And making sure they know exactly what to say is very important because otherwise all their effort could just fall flat. Yeah, I do think um, there might be a fine line between um, 
you know, the sucking up and, you know, making it seem like sincere compliment or so forth. Because uh, I don't think the referees might be that used to getting a compliment throughout a match. I might be mistaken at that level. I mean, the level we were playing, um, yeah, I wouldn't just go compliment a referee. I, I just want to play the game, you know. So I think for me, that is a part of this where the practice comes in handy because a lot of the players, you know, speci specifically coming up the ranks, and we had a relatively young squad as well. I don't know how much of this they would have done, you know, before the World Cup uh, when Rossi came in, or at least with the build-up, I think they probably started practicing this already. But I think it would take a bit of time for players to get comfortable first to, to interact with the referee in such a way. And secondly, knowing what they are trying to achieve and for it to come off as sincere would likely take a bit of practice. Now, they even went a little bit deeper than just that, um, you know, with compliments and so forth, right? So they also had specific role players within the Springbok that would interact with the referee. Um, the main important one, I think, is they, they employed a good cop, bad cop strategy. Uh, with Sia and Dwayne. All right, Jason, can you kind of take us through a good cop, bad cop um, scenario and how Dwayne and Sia fits into all of this to, you know, get the best from the referee in terms of a South African perspective? Yeah, so obviously we know how important it is for the captain to be on the good side of the referee. So Sia was doing all of his hand to treat the ref with respect and work to keep the game moving, which is what Garcia likes once again. And what the other side was, Dwayne, a guy they already had recognized as a top leader and who the refs wouldn't see strangers talking to them. Whenever there was issues with how the ref was officiating, Dwayne would, pick, uh, would uh, name it or say it to the referee. And then you'd have Khaleesi saying, well, well, I'm going to talk to the ref, pushing him back. You know, constantly looking like he's working to keep the game moving and keeping on Garcia's good side. So at the same time that you're getting across like, hey, you're not officiating properly, you're also keeping the captain in the good books. And that's very important when it comes to the captain needing to raise something uh, bigger later in the match. So this just really endears Garcia to more, uh, more to Khaleesi and make sure that, yeah, any suggestions Khaleesi gives uh, Garcia's are like, oh, you've been nice. You know, let me think about that. So that's one of the big things. Yeah. Also, like if you if you think of the rugby match being 80 minutes long, you would want the referee to be on your side specifically in the last 10 to 15 minutes if it's a close game. Exactly. You know, And I think this is where the real value of this approach comes in, is that at the death, if you're in a tight game and there's a 50-50, if you can do anything to slightly increase your odds of getting the favorable call, this is where the strategy's real value lies, in my opinion. Early in the game, this is not going to help you that much. But second half, late in the second half, this strategy is going to um, give you good rewards. Um, they also had another specific role player um, in dealing with the referee, and that was the hooker. right? Um, this, I think, a lot of teams do kind of do. Um, but it just seems that, once again, in the case of Jerome, that they were specific in how the hooker is going to deal with the referee. Um, and the Springboks gave the hooker the responsibility of looking after the set pieces, scrums and lineouts. So the Springboks identified that Jerome Garcia's 
likes structure in a rugby game and he likes players to set up set pieces quickly. He does not like it when players take the time to come set up or loiter around and so forth. Right, so uh, Jerome wants the game to to continue and flow, which from a referee perspective is understandable because world rugby does put pressure on the referees to keep the game flowing. Right, uh, there's X amount of time for broadcasting a match, so you know they essentially also have to ensure that the product of rugby, um, you know, is is executed, um, you know, within the time frame. So the hooker in this case would check in with the referee throughout the game to keep the game as clean as possible. Check with Jerome. Hey, are you happy with the setup for the lineouts and scrums? You know, if there's anything, let us know, you know, that we can fix it. Um, and this kind of puts the idea in Jerome's head that, um, you know, if issues are being caused, that it's from the other team rather than the Springboks because the Springboks are making a clear and concerted effort to do things right. Um, yeah, how, how does this come across? Um, is um, with with um, you know the psychology behind all of that? Yeah, it all makes sense, and of course you can start getting away with more to an extent if you look like you're the one trying to make sure everything works well. Because we all know dark parts of the scrum, you can't always see who is exactly causing the issues. So if Mbonambi is making the effort to make sure the scrum looks set or whatever, he can cause issue and cause uh, a collapse and then England will be blamed for example and I can give a more a much more extreme example but in some cases with serial killers what you find is that they end up going oh, to that, that, that escalated sorry no, man. no like, like <laughs> hear me out first I'm not crazy all right all right <laughs> so what happens is they'll sometimes join the you know police often ask for help with like finding bodies or with the investigation and they'll, the circle themselves will go and try and help with the, the search for the bodies or offer their help of volunteering with the investigation. And this has been found quite a few times. So the thinking is, if you're looking like you're helping to solve the problem, you won't be assumed as the cause for the problem. Like that's the kind of thinking. And that's kind of reflected here. If the Springboks make the big effort to look like they're trying to solve the problem, they can cause it and get away with it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. That that does <laughs> that does explain it. Very extreme, um, I must yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know you. Yeah, I mean that's really up your field and, and expertise. That sort of <laughs> stuff. I just, you know, so early in the morning, you're not <laughs> expecting for things to escalate like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking about perceptions and so forth, um, right? So this does kind of bring us to you know, something I, w- I would consider behavioral tactics. Um, I don't know if there's really such a thing, but essentially using behavioral mannerisms, um, you know, in a tactical manner to gain some sort of an advantage. Um, right. So the research has shown that referees do tend to feel intimidated when looking up to large and physically intimidating players. Now, let's be fair. Probably all referees are either the smallest person on the field or one of the smallest persons on the field. Right, so you can understand that there's going to be some intimidation uh, perceived by the referees simply because the guys are big out there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so the Springboks went to counter this. Um, can you take us through how they used behavioral tactics to, you know, change the image of and how they perceived? 
Yeah, one of the, the main things they did was whenever they were speaking to the referee, they specifically mentioned they would either make like they're tying their shoelaces, obviously down on one knee, or they'd make it look like they're really tired, so be bent over, hands on knees. So whenever they spoke to the ref, they put themselves in a smaller position, which, again, uh, with body language, that makes them, the refs feel like they're speaking a bit down to the players, which makes them feel more powerful and in control. And, I mean, you can... You can imagine this when you've got however tall Lut Diaga is bending down, talking to you, and you can look down on him. He's going to feel a lot better than him just standing upright, staring you down. Um, and one of the things is this is actually, this is seen naturally uh, often. There's submissive individuals making themselves smaller uh, when there's dominant individuals around. Like you see this everywhere. So by deliberately doing this submissive quote-unquote behavior, you make the ref feel like they're in power and it's, there's less likely to feel hostile towards you, for example, or feel like they need to be harsher with you. Yeah, yeah. On this, right, do you think it would then be somewhat beneficial to have a captain that is of average height? It could be. Um, again, with the captain, it's there's a lot more to it than that. So they still need to be the good leader. They still need to have yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but like, I guess if you have a guy, if you have Sia talking to you, who is also well known as a nice guy, versus Irvin or like Mario Toje, like you're gonna be feel better talking to Khaleesi. Like I remember a time when I was a prefect in high school, and I had to dress down this guy as two meter tall, grade ten. I did not feel like I was in control there. <laughs> so yeah, I can definitely see there being a, a point of the ref the captain does needs to be someone who's not that intimidating towards the ref. Yeah, I was I was just wondering, um, yeah, I mean, because essentially it come it's it's a bit of a height thing, right? And in nature, height speaks volume. You know, if if you are like like animals instinctively use height as sort of a barometer of like how threatening uh, another um, individual might be if if they're taller they're likely going to be stronger than you and they can cause some damage if things were to escalate and we still have those instincts within us we all have it uh, where we naturally respond to body language so i was just thinking it might be interesting i don't know if anyone's done a study on this i don't know how you would do a study on this but like whether the height of a captain would be significant in how, um, you know, marginal calls are or decisions are made on a sports field, you know, or w whether the interaction with the referee would be more favorable if they, you know, uh, either the same or shorter height than the referee, you know, like I was just wondering if, if that is something that has been or would be done to some point. Time. I do think it would, it's still more how you approach the referee because a small guy can still be very abrasive, cough, cough, piranara. Um Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you do a study on that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you set up a study, um, you would factor for that, you know, where you would only be testing for heart. Um, so they would likely use, um, obviously, it would be scripted in some sort of a way and they would probably be surveying referees and so forth and etc but i think it might be interesting you know if these behavioral and psychology um you know is becoming more apparent in in professional sport particularly rugby you know because rugby has only been professional for about you know 25 years 
Um, so relatively, the game has still been young and I can foresee, you know, um, other aspects um, coming into the sport, sport as time goes on. This might just be really interesting. I would be fascinated to to see if that is really the case. Um, but yeah, let's let's kind of wrap wrap up this topic, Jason. Um, kind of get to a conclusion here, right? So first off, um, exploitation versus manipulation, right? Where do you stand on this? My opinion is that definitely there was manipulation. Obviously, like it's not there to hurt Garcia's or cause harm to him. The manipulation is just making him more likely to be positive towards the box. So definitely manipulation, no exploitation. I mean, that is just the the, the places using exploitation alongside this story. They're just trying to get clicks and trying to make it look or discredit the Springbok World Cup victory, which we're used to by now. And yourself? Yeah, I feel that whoever makes a claim of exploitation will need to provide some evidence that shows what the Springboks held against Jerome, in which case we want to see the emails or the pictures, you know, or the bets that he made or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> because if there's, because let's be fair, if there was actual exploitation, it would likely mean that um, either the referee within the sport had done something they were not supposed to, in which case, you know, uh, why are you there in the first place? Um you know, so I'm with you. I fall on, yeah, there is manipulation, definitely not exploitation. Um, but the other thing I, I do want to mention is um, it really seems that Rossi and his team uh, kind of ushered in new standards of referee analysis and preparation. Um, I can foresee teams will follow suit and employ this. And I also think that um, referee training will likely have to be updated you know to account for these sort of behavioral tactics that teams and players might um, employ and there would need to be a concerted effort to ensure that referees stay as objective as possible throughout the entirety of a match and not be influenced uh, to some way where subjectivity will will creep into their decision making yeah, it's definitely a turning point in how teams approach games. Like that alongside the 6-2 bench split. Like there's a lot of the Springboks did this World Cup, which is going to be, you know, try to, people are going to try and emulate it. I'm intrigued to see how this goes and how referees decide to counter this. Like it's going to be interesting to see how paranoid referees get on the field. Like are these guys trying to influence me? Am I being... You know, am I now being biased towards them? Like, it's going to be interesting to see, like, from their point of view as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating, and we'll likely we'll we'll get information down the line um, once like World Rugby changes or updates their referee training. I think we would we would see this come up in in the training and so forth. But yeah, uh, this was awesome, awesome to talk about this topic. I think it's fascinating um, what they've done. Uh, definitely stirred up quite a bit of conversation. I think it's great. I think it just means that the game really is, um, you know, progressing as a professional sport, which is fantastic. But cool, Jason, yeah, shot. We'll wrap up this topic right here. Right, we have a boykey of the week. Uh, this boykey didn't do anything uh, amazing specifically in this week. However, his body of work speaks for itself or himself um, and it was mainly Steve Hansen that uh, you know brought our attention to this 
Steve Anson, obviously being, you know, one of the great coaches within the sport of rugby, he's come out and he has said that the best ever athlete that he has coached is Sonny Bill Williams. Right, so we are going to give it to Sonny Bill Williams for that. That's a that's a pretty awesome uh, reputation to have, where you know one of the best coaches says that you're the best athlete that he's ever coached, and we also support this because um, you know as South Africans we always um, have a soft spot for the gym bunnies, and Sonny Bill is quite a gym bunny. Uh, <laughs> Jason, you want to get in here? Uh, how do you? <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think about uh, Sunny Bull Williams? You know, the, the gym bunny is coming through to represent. You know, I remember going to Kings Park to watch Sharks versus Chiefs once and walking to my seats and looking at the one guy warming up from the back. And I was like, geez, that is one muscular flank. Like, that dude is going to be great on the field today. I didn't know the teams properly back then. And he turned around and it was Sunny Bull Williams. So, I mean, the whole best athlete gym bunny thing, I mean, the guy's got it. And... Jeez, it's helped his game to no end. So massive credit to him. We support the gym bunnies. Well done. Yeah. The other point I would like to make is um, partly why I think he he also he's very coachable, you know, for the coach to come out and say this, which means he's open to criticism. He's fine with identifying his weaknesses and working hard on that. Um, if you consider Sunny Bill has professionally played a couple of sports, Right, which I do think uh, counts in his favor to make that statement because if you're able to jump between different codes, it means at that sort of a level, you are easy to work with when it comes to coaching, uh, which I think just supports the argument that Steve Hansen made here. Yeah, 100% agree. Possibly one of the best um, cross-discipline athletes in New Zealand currently. Yeah, in the world probably, mm. I would I would put it out there, and and from just from a pure physical aspect, yeah, he's he's top class. Like just just go look at him. That that's professional. You're looking at right there. Righty, let's have a look at our quick tap articles. Uh, there's a couple of ones that popped up this week that caught our attention. Uh, first up, Jason. Uh, so yeah, the Pumas are struggling a little bit. Uh, COVID is still running rampant there in Argentina, and yeah, a couple of the Argentina Pumas players um, have tested positive. This might influence the probability of playing the rugby championship. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, this and the fact that they haven't had any chance to play, and I mean, alongside the fact that SA very likely is going. North and not going to rugby championship. I think it's just going to be an extended Bledisloe series this year. Yeah, I, f- I feel for Argentina. I really feel for them. This is everything is just spiraled out of control. Um, yeah, from top in world rugby structures all the way down to you know even domestic super rugby for them. Uh, it sucks. Uh, we really hope that um, things are going to turn the corner for them going forward soon. Uh, let's move on to the next one. All right, so this weekend. Owen Farrell popped up once again, uh, you know, that, that guy that has the best tackling technique out in world rugby. Um, so he tackled the guy. It was high. It was on the head, and he got sent off. Uh, you saw this tackle, Jason. I mean, let, let me just ask a question. Do you think he knew that was going to be high when he went for that tackle? He wasn't dipping down. The other guy wasn't taller than him. Of course, that was going to be high. I don't think he expected to close London, dude. But either way, I mean, Farrell's tackle technique is needed to look at for a while. 
and people are calling for lengthy bans for this, and I can't really argue against it. Eh? Yeah, I'm I'm with that. Uh, the fact of the matter is that he has a track record of doing these tackles specifically, um, and his tackle technique is one where he he tries to make chest hits, uh, which means his risk of um, either hitting higher or you know when he makes contact with, with his arms sliding up into the head areas is greater based off of the tackle technique he employs. So I think this is nothing surprising, in my opinion, to see Owen Farrell, you know, put in another high shot. And yeah, he should get banned for the appropriate amount of time. Right. Uh, now, some interesting news in SA. So Apiwe Dianchi, there's a... Dave, his trial is going to move on for the doping. Right, so 15 September... His trial is starting. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, Jason? Do you think do you think this is going to be pulled out, or do you think this is going to be a short and sweet trial where hopefully we're going to get uh, you know some clarity on everything that happened uh, and not be you know taken for a long ride? The big thing is, whichever way it goes, we need closure on this, and he needs closure especially. I mean, he's come out and spoken about the anxiety and depression, the mental anguish he's going through with this and whether you think he did juice or not no one deserves to go through that for this extended period of time i mean it needs to be sorted we need to know that the way forward that's the big thing here just get it done yeah um yeah when when court proceedings are dragged out it really really takes a mental toll on someone i hope this is not gonna be a long dragged out affair i hope they can sort this out you know quickly you know, whether he did it or not, so long as this trial can, you know, sort of progress speedily, I think that'd be good. Because, yeah, I mean, even though he doped, we don't want him to, you know, sort of suffer beyond those consequences itself for doping. And the mental anguish that he has displayed going through um, is of concern, you know, so that does sort of need to be taken account. And we hope it's, it's just going to move smooth um, and that closure comes from him and for, you know, the rugby public in South Africa as well. All right, the last one, uh, the best one. So we had a massive clash this <laughs> week in South Africa, Yanchis versus Hendricks. Um, uh, Yanchis and, and Hendricks uh, kind of had a UFC fight. This was touted as a, as a big boxing match. Uh, Yanchis promising there will be blood. And when when this supposed fight came, it was just a UFC fight on PlayStation. Uh, Jason, you want to say something before I jump in here? you got a lot to say on this topic. All I'm going to say is I called it. Take it away, Dup. Right. Listen, guys. Like, I'm all for you doing these publicity things and so forth to get hype and so forth. I'm all for this. I actually think we should get more of the players involved in these activities, right? However, do not come and promise or make it look like we're going to get an actual fight, right? And we see these videos of Yanchis, you're trying to look badass in some sort of a, a parking lot thing, you know, making it look like it's going to be a real fight. And then many people had this expectation and they log on and it's two guys coming to sit on the couch and play UFC. Uh, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, was, I was personally not impressed. I read the comments. And 95% of the people were irritated, right? Like, 
I feel that you still could have created hype for this type of thing that you wanted to do without being disingenuous. I feel like I was fooled. I feel like I ordered a beer at the bar and I got a glass of water. This is what it seems like to me with the advertising. Come on, guys. Like, you don't need to dupe us to be interested in what you're doing. Just make interesting stuff. This was interesting in itself. You didn't need to hype it to that extent where people are now angry because they didn't get what you made it appear you're going to give us. That's my point on this. Jesse, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> Come on, guys, man. And in all honesty, guys, I would want to see a couple of Springboks uh, or, or rugby players go into Octagon do this. Obviously, don't do it while you're playing. Um, you know, say no to concussion while you're a professional rugby player. Um, Off-season, so forth. Hey, like, or when guys just finish, do that. I think it would actually, it could be a nice way to bring in fans from, from like, the UFC market, for example, to maybe come check out rugby if they see these rugby players maybe after a career step into the octagon. I think that could be cool, you know. Even if guys decide they're going to take a bit of a break, have a fight in the off-season, I think it would create a lot of hype. But don't hype it just for a PlayStation game. If you're going to hype it for a PlayStation game, hype it for a PlayStation game. I would have watched it. I like UFC. I would have watched it. Come on, guys. Yes, see. If Yanchis was on the boycott of the week, I would previously, I would have taken him off. That's how I feel about this. It'll be okay, Dave. It'll be okay. It can't hurt you anymore. It can't Jason, hurt you. I'm gonna, I'm, Jason, I'm going to need to come talk to you after this. <laughs> we can discuss I'm, payments, man. I'm serious. This is affecting me. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's just let's just end it there. Let's just end it right there. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and we hope you liked this episode of the main event. Please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services, and leave us a comment. So until next week, stay away from your boys, wash your hands often, drink lots of water and stay safe.